Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another installment of History Hack. I'm so excited today. Guess who's back? Kit's back. Kit, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm doing okay. Oh, so we made this pledge with you, didn't we? Because the last time you came on, you did something quite uh, sombre. We did the Manhattan Projects. It was an anniversary, wasn't it? It was. It was the 75th anniversary of the, the first atomic weapon, which was kind of serious, very sad, worth talking about, but not that fun. So what are we going to do today? We're going to do the mad bastards of science. Awesome, uh, because you've been giving us anecdotes all over the place down the pub. I can't wait for this. So you've picked a few, haven't you? And you're just going to explain what they did and why they were lunatics. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to talk a little bit about why they're famous. These, these are all big names. There are no names that you'll sort of go. I've never heard of this person. We're talking the giants of science. And I'll give you a little bit about what they actually did, why they're important for science and then just why they are batshit crazy. Awesome. Right. Go. Who's first? Let's 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 go right to the top. Let's start off with Marie Curie. Brilliant. Okay, I've heard that name. Uh, there's a charity as well, isn't there? There uh, is. That is where you're going to test me as we go, aren't we? Aren't you? I am. I am. See, I'm going to start off. Well, oh, interesting, because she won the Nobel Prize in chemistry and physics. Okay, so I was half right. You were half right, and she's the only person to do that. She sounds like an epic overachiever. So what exactly did she do and who was she? Okay, so here's, here's my first question for you. What nationality was Marie Curie? Uh, French. She was not French. She was Polish. Oh, really? Oh, Alina's uh, going to be really pissed off. She missed this then. Her name was Maria Sladowska. Um, and I'm really glad Alina isn't here. So to correct my pronunciation of yeah. that. <laughs> Um, I've told her people are scared of saying anything Polish around you, but she ain't having it. She's yeah, like, she was born. She was born in Warsaw, um, and she was, it was then part of the Russian Empire. She studied under what was called the Flying or Floating University. It was, a, it was like a resistance school um, because couldn't uh, study as a woman under uh, there at the time. And then she ends up going to Paris, and she gets really involved with radioactivity, and that is why she's famous. Uh, she studies under a guy called Henri Becquerel. Uh, who is basically the, he's the daddy of radiation. And while she's doing that, she falls in love with a guy called Pierre Curie. They marry and they become this power couple um, of of science. And, and everyone starts assuming she's French. Exactly. Everyone, everyone takes this Maria Slodowska and everyone just calls her Marie Curie. 
uh, and everyone thinks she's French for the rest of the days with this stupid ulala accent. She was Polish and incredibly proud of it. She discovered two elements, one of which she named polonium after Poland. You know, um, and her, she is such an overachiever that basically anyone involved with her ends up winning a Nobel Prize. So to give you a quick rundown, uh, she and her husband and Becquerel win Nobel Prizes. Uh, this was in 1903. She won the the chemistry. Oh no, she won the physics prize in 1903. She won the chemistry prize in 1911. Her husband gets run over by a horse and dies. Um, she ends up having. <laughs> God, just throw that out there. What happened? Well, he was crossing the road and he a horse ran him over. You know, he died uh, horrifically. Um, and so she was incredibly sad about that. Obviously, uh, so she wins the prize on her own. Uh, the next Nobel Prize. She starts having a, um, a an affair with another Nobel Prize winner, um, Langevin. Um, her daughter, Irene, wins a Nobel Prize. Um, she uh, marries a guy called uh, Frederick uh, Joliot, and they become the Frederick and Irene Joliot Curie. They always use both names. They both win the Nobel Prize for what's called induced radioactivity. So radioactivity is basically this family business. Mm. Um, she has another daughter uh, who doesn't win the Nobel Prize, but her husband does. So it's you think like, this, like at Christmas parties, everybody just looked across the table at the other daughter, like what a failure. I, I know, right? How how dare you be Eve Curie? Um, uh, I mean, she was she was pretty impressive in her own right. She was this journalist. Her husband, as I said, worked for UNICEF, and that's that's where he got the Nobel Prize. He went collecting it. Uh, she did war reportage. Uh, Marie Curie was obsessed with radioactivity and was convinced it was perfectly safe. This is why she's a bit crazy. Um, she did a lot of work in the, in the First World War, um, certainly on uh, x-rays and, and became a major part of helping the French cause there. But she also famously walked around with vials of radium. Her notes are all still radioactive to this day. You, you can't go and handle them. They are dripping with radiation. You will die if you do it. Um, <laughs> and um, How do you research her? Like wearing a hazmat suit? Basically, yes. <laughs> um, fortunately, there's this incredible detail about what she does. Um, she set up what's, what was known as the Radium Institute in Paris. Um, she really created this this school of excellence for women scientists uh, to the point that her, her personal assistant uh, was called Marguerite Perry. And she goes on to discover the hardest element that it is possible to find, uh, Francium, which is just an astonishing piece of work after Marie Curie dies. But Curie unsurprisingly dies of aplastic anemia because of her radiation explosion, a, a, a exposure. She basically glows in the dark. In fact, one of her big discoveries is she was going back to the lab at night late with Pierre um, to, to do some, well, who knows what they were, those two were doing. I mean, she wasn't shy about uh, relationships, Marie. And um, she noticed one of her samples was glowing. And that's what led to the breakthrough of radium. But the, the crap they put on radium, I mean, they put radium into hats to make you feel better. Um, people were sort of using it for uh, um, watch watches, uh, the, uh, the hands of watches to, to make them glow in the dark so you could see them. And people were licking their paintbrushes. Um, it was just ridiculous. Radiation spewed everywhere. Uh, but she becomes obviously this incredibly important figure at the turn of the, the 20th century. And she was pretty much the only woman scientist who was sort of right at the top of the pantheon. There was another one called Lise Meitner, 
But you look at these sort of uh, the Solvay conferences, these famous conferences of all the scientists gathered there. And there is just this woman depressed being mansplained to. She's never smiling at any of the photos. She's just rolling her eyes the entire time. I just I have to ask then. Right. So she plays with radiation all the time. Yep. Um, it kills her. Yep. What is she doing with it? <laughs> I mean, she's carrying it around in her pocket. But for what end? What she invented? Just to show people, just to pull it out at parties and go, hey, guys, look, this glows in the dark. Um, she genuinely thought it had health benefits, uh, was a big thing. Um, and she didn't really, lab safety standards weren't what they were, what they are. You've got to remember at the turn of the 20th century, the concept of um, a lab team working as they would today. So one person is a specialist in one area, one specialist, a specialist in another didn't exist. People were still making their own equipment and people were sort of mouth titrating. So you suck up the thing and then you spit it out. And they were doing that with things like polonium. Polonium is what killed Litvinenko. It's a poison. Um, so it's, it's absolutely astonishing what they did, but she creates, as I say, this incredible dynasty and everyone she knows pretty much gets a Nobel prize. That's insane. Um, she's obviously epic, but epically mad as well. Who's next? Uh, let's go for Dmitry Mendeleev. So we've done, she, she's kind of like a radiation person. We've talked a little bit about the periodic table. Dmitry Mendeleev was the Russian guy who actually came up with the periodic table. Okay. Um, there were other people doing it at the time. Um, there were s- several people who have a claim for it. But Mendeleev, if you've ever seen this kind of creepy looking guy with a massive beard, um, probably Mendeleev associated with the periodic table. And everyone knows the periodic table. That's the thing that's stuck up on the wall of every chemistry lab. It just terrified the living shit out of me at school. It it, it looks incredibly scary. He's the guy that designed it. It's his fault. And all it is, is kind of like a, it's a, it's a map for chemists. It's shorthand. So it's all of the elements that are arranged in roughly, roughly weight order. um, And they're stacked in a way that, you can see there there are trends. So, for example, uh, first column, you've got uh, lithium, sodium, and potassium, and they, they go on down. And if you throw lith- lithium into water, it fizzes. You throw sodium into water, it bursts into flames. You throw potassium into water, it explodes. So it's, it's kind of making sense of the world that way. He's the guy that came up with it. Um, he was completely bananas. Um, he was raised in Siberia, and he was told as a kid that he was descended from a Tatar princess. Uh, which was complete bollocks. I mean, his parents just made it up. But he sort of had this kind of legacy about it. He he goes to university in St. Petersburg, and he gets um, tuberculosis. And to recover, this is how crazy he was. In 1855, he's 21 years old. He thinks, I'm just going to take a quiet school teacher job uh, down in the Crimea uh, to relax. And, of course, this is only six months. coincides with the Crimean War, doesn't it? This is six months after the Battle of Balaclava. The Crimean War is going on. <laughs> his, his, his rest lasts a full week before 13,000 French troops land in his village and he has to leg it. Um, he, anyway, he, he comes up with this, uh, the periodic table in 18, starts in 1867, comes up with it finally in 1869 uh, uh, in St. Petersburg, becomes very, very famous when people realise that it does work because they still hadn't discovered all the elements at the time. And so they find this element that actually links into Mendeleev's theory and they go, the periodic table is a thing. But he, he, he's problematic. After this, uh, when he was in his 40s, 
Um, he was married uh, to, to a wife, didn't particularly like her. Um, he fell in love with one of his teenage students. Oh, no. What like, it gets, yeah, this, it gets really, really bad. Um, so her parents find out that the teacher is sending the, the student love letters and get this teenager to move to Rome in Italy. He's in St. Petersburg, Russia. He chases her across Europe. Oh, dude, no, have some class. He turns up on her doorstep in Rome and tells her that he's going to commit suicide unless she marries him. Oh, attractive. Yeah, I know. Stylish, right? Yeah. She you eventually sort of relents. So right then. She's like, fine, Dimitri, let's go back to Russia and let's get married. And so he goes back to Russia and he bribes a priest and they marry. Why bribe? Because as I mentioned before, he was already married. <laughs> so he's a so, bigamist as well as a pervert. Yeah, they, they take this to the Tsar and the Tsar says, well, Dmitry Mendeleev may have two wives, but I only have one Dmitry Mendeleev. You know, so this was a scandal at the time. But his life continues to go even crazier. Um, there's a, 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 a solar eclipse and he wants to see it as close as he can. God knows why. Um, and so he, he gets a balloon, um, a hot air balloon. And the army lend him one and they're going to take him up. And he decides for his own reasons, who knows why, that he doesn't need any instruction, throws the, um, the, the, the guy who's running the balloon out of the balloon and takes off to chase the eclipse on his own. Um, he can't control the balloon. And there, there are these sightings of Mendeleev drifting across Russia, desperately <laughs> trying to land. Is it like that episode of Only Fools and Horses where uh, Dell goes hang gliding? It's exactly that kind of, yeah, that kind of idea, this sort of runway balloon with, with Russia's most famous scientist sort of dangling off it desperately. At one point he has to climb out of the basket to try and, try and get the balloon lowered. Um, so he was a complete lunatic, but again, very, very famous. Um, he could he could have won the Nobel Prize. He didn't. Um, he wasn't actually that popular. He wasn't allowed into the St. Petersburg Academy of Sciences because he just annoyed somebody. Um, but there you go. That's the that's one of chemistry's most famous scientists. Well, obviously, can't get anywhere near the Nobel Prize because Marie Curie's family are taking them all. Oh, exactly. She's she's just scooping them all up. Um, there were there was like two years where they didn't have them, and then well, the interesting thing about Marie Curie is that um, she was the first woman to to win the Nobel Prize. Um, her daughter was the second, and then uh, in physics, I mean, it's it's actually atrocious. There has only been three women who have won the Nobel Prize in physics. Is that it? Yeah, uh, Marie Curie, uh, Maria Gopert Mayer, who did it in um, the sixties, um, and two years ago, Donald Strickland won it. That was it. That's it in physics. That's quite sad. It is Why is it such a male-dominated field? Um, it, it's partly partly because there aren't as many women in physics as as white blokes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another big part of it is um, is how you actually win the Nobel Prize, which is. Uh, do you want me to go a little bit into that? Or yeah, do it, do it, because I don't know how people get them. So the Nobel Prize basically previous winners and and a panel are asked to to nominate. And so you, the nominations are sealed for 50 years, but you can have a look at the old ones and you can see how many times people were nominated. It's quite interesting. Is, it like, is there anyone that's like Leonardo DiCaprio where they just like were completely shunned and should have had one? Oh, no, absolutely. Uh, Lise Meitner, this, the woman I mentioned, um, she was nominated 43 times. No, wait, did she ever win one? No. 
That's really horrible. It is. It, it, like I say, it's 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 a boys' club. It is it is really bad. And she actually, her partner, um, a lab partner, Otto Hahn, actually did win one uh, for the same work that she did. So there is there's a real sort of horrible uh, nature to that. Hmm. Um, so once that's done, uh, a committee, uh, which is selected from the Swedish Academy, um, they sit down and they basically pick the winner. They decide who's going to win. Um, and it's up to them. There are sort of sneaky kind of spy stuff that goes on. People check out if you really did what you want, what you, you said you did. Um, people go around to, to your universities and say, you know, is this person a wrong or are they okay? There's a little bit of sussing out that goes on, but that's basically the process. So, and there's like no, I guess there's no quotas or anything like that. So it just really comes down to like their personal preferences. Very much so. And to be brutally honest, uh, with the, ex- with very few exceptions, it is predominantly white male Europeans and Americans. Ew. They're not yeah. so impressive anymore, are they? They're not. And, uh, and sometimes people who are in- incredible, uh, and should win Nobel prizes don't win one. Um, sometimes you, you look at the, the awards and you go, what? Why, why, why is this person won the Nobel prize? This makes absolutely no, um, it's, it's one of those things that in science, it's just, no one's quite sure why they're so important and yet they are, they're all consuming. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on. Let's um, move on. Let's talk about some more crazy scientists. Well, let's go with, with the person that I, that I love to hate, Isaac Newton. Yeah. <laughs> he um, had such a beef with Newton when it came to the greatest Britain awards. Tell us why. All right. Isaac Newton was a bell end. There's no, <laughs> no, there's no getting away from it. He was a complete dick bag. Um, so he was undeniably a genius. Um, a lot of things that actually, you know what, Alex, go on, give me something that Isaac Newton came up with because I guarantee you'll know at least some of them. Gravity. Pretty much theory of gravity. Yeah. Um, the laws of motion, um, are the other big things, you know, Newton's laws of motion. Uh, uh, if I'm brutally honest, I was all out after gravity in the <laughs> Um, he did some other stuff. He was very good with optics. He did prisms and sort of splitting light that way. He was an alchemist, uh, but alchemy is kind of a red herring. Um, the chemistry as it's, as we know it today, didn't really exist in his day. And so people say, oh, you know, they were an alchemist. They were trying to turn lead into gold. Um, there were some really weirdy beardy alchemists that tried to do that. There were some actually very good scientists. Uh, alchemy was actually started by women. Um, and it's amazing that we sort of went into this kind of male dominated world again. Um, but the first two alchemists really, if you look at the books are, um, are someone called Mary, the Jewess, uh, who was Egyptian and Cleopatra, the alchemist, which, yeah. <laughs> which is a fantastic name. Um, uh, yeah. It's, it's quite, it's better than Marie Curie anyway. It is the name. Anyways. Um, Isaac Newton. Um, yeah. So he, yeah, he came up with a whole, whole host of stuff and he wrote this book called Principia, um, which he sort of came up with all these ideas. And this is really where I've got the beef with him because some of the stuff that he claims he, he invented, he probably stole off other people. Um, Robert, uh, Robert Hooke was a very famous scientist of the day. People might know Hooke's law, which is to do with springs. And he came up with the idea of a cell. Um, for the human body, very, very famous. And he wrote to Newton in about 1679 and goes, you know, this idea of gravity, well, maybe that works with planets as well. And Newton comes up with this bullshit little response. He's like, yeah, that's in line with my own ideas or something like that. 
Um, and when Principia comes out, he claims that all of this is his own idea. Oh, uh, no, really? Hook says, you know, excuse me, you know, where's the credit? And Newton just goes for him. I mean, he just savages it and says he didn't, he says things like Hook didn't give me anything that I didn't already know. And, you know, lols, thanks for the free publicity, Roberts. All this kind of really horrible stuff. He's, he's, he's really vicious. He does this as well to a guy called uh, Gottfried Leibniz, who is a German polymath, really smart guy. And they probably came up with calculus uh, at roughly the same time, this form of maths. And Newton will not have that at all. He just hated sharing credit with anyone. And he went for you even after your death. Uh, you know, he was basically constantly slandering Robert Hooke, saying what a dick he was. Um, but this isn't really why I hate Isaac Newton completely. Uh, he was very weird. Um, there's no getting aware, aware around it. Um, people wrote about his hobbies, which were basically, he would go into empty lecture theatres and pretend there was a crowd there and give a lecture. That was his way of calming down. Um, what a loser. He was, he was really, he had no friends at all. It was very odd. But after he stopped doing science, he basically gives up science and he goes to work for the Royal Mint and he basically becomes the fraud squad. Um, and because there's quite a lot of counterfeit coins going on at the time, Newton becomes obsessed with tracking them down and stopping them. And so he disguises himself and he goes into bars um, pretending to be drunk and hangs around trying to gather evidence on people himself. Oh, and goodness. he is the warden of the Royal Mint. He is the official, you know, head of it. He's, he's in, in 1705, he's, he's knighted. Um, but he was so dedicated to this. He prosecutes 28 coiners and has them hanged, drawn and quartered. For treason? Yeah, for high treason for, for, for faking coins. Uh... Their, their crime is faking coins and he sort of twists it around and gets them hanged, drawn and quartered. He does sound like a complete knob. Was he a total prick? Yeah, he was, he was a complete prick. I mean, he very famously, absolutely no, nobody liked him. He was, he was just this really unpleasant character. At one point, he's MP for Cambridge University, uh, which was kind of one of those rotten borough sort of jobs. I'm just thinking of that Blackadder episode now then with the Black <laughs> third where they're having the election and there's only like two people allowed to vote. Yeah, exactly. It's, I mean, there's a bit more to it than that, but obviously Cambridge University are not going to vote Trinity College God Isaac Newton out of anything. Um, so yeah, Isaac Newton, absolute dick throughout history, um, and just tarnished the legacy of, of these other people. Incredibly smart, smart. If he hadn't done that, he would without question be one of our greatest scientists. Um, was he married? I'm guessing not. No, no, absolutely. Not. Uh, there is no evidence that Newton shows any interest in anyone other than himself. <laughs> Which, again, is not an attractive trait, is it? It really isn't. I mean, yeah, he, he didn't have... He, he wasn't He wasn't gay, uh, he, he, as far as we know. Um, he didn't have, seem to have any kind of relationship... He didn't seem to have any kind of relationship at all. Apart from with, like, himself? Apart from with, yeah, apart from with attacking people that, that said anything against Isaac Newton and going into classrooms and giving fake lectures. To himself. To himself. Ew. <laughs> yeah. He's the biggest dick so far, I think. Who else have you got? All right. Um, so I'm going to go. These, these, these aren't so much dickish. It's just kind of lunatics. 
Okay. Um, Humphrey Davy and Michael Faraday. So you can't talk about one without talking about the other. Um, Humphrey Davy was this guy from Cornwall. Um, people might know the Humphrey Davy safety lamp. Uh, but he was much more than that. He was really a pioneer in uh, electricity. That was one of his big things. Right. And so he used electrolysis to separate out elements for the first time. So um, potassium and sodium, which we've talked about, they're him. Uh, calcium, uh, strontium, barium, magnesium, and boron, uh, which is a weird element. Uh, they are all him as well. And he's the guy that sort of comes up with uh, anything you've, you've stuck into a flame to see what color it is. That's probably Humphrey Davies bag. Right. But his real sort of contribution to culture in Georgian England, he was around 1807. He was discovering these elements was that he liked to bring nitrous oxide to parties, uh, nitrous oxide, better known as laughing gas. And so yeah, that makes slightly more sense than Marie Curie walking around with radium. For a lot. It does. Um, there are these fantastic cartoons of Humphrey Davy, basically with this sort of bagpipe of, of laughing gas. Never mind these small little canisters, you know, the, kid, the kids use and all that. He's walking around with a bagpipe of the stuff and he's basically just shoving it into people's mouths and pumping away. So everyone's getting off their trolley on, nit- on nitrous. Um, he's having a great time. Uh, <laughs> and there are cartoons, as I say, of, of him giving lectures, which are just basically people farting. Um, that was his other thing. Fascinated with gas. Um, he undoubtedly inspired Mary Shelley. Um, she, I think, attended some of his lectures. Um, someone called Jane Marseille as well, who wrote some of the first science books. But uh, he seriously injures himself in a lab accident. He's messing around with nitrogen trichloride and basically blows himself up. Um, a friend of his, Pierre, um, Pierre, Pierre Dulong, um, had actually lost two fingers and an eye. Um, in separate, in two separate explosions with this crap. Um, and Davy, yeah, blows himself up and he needs some help. And a guy had attended some of his lectures and for some reason or other had basically written down everything Humphrey Davy had said in meticulous notes and sent a copy of it to Davy. It's like, here's what you said in your lectures, you know, your, your wonderful fart lectures. Um, and the guy was Michael Faraday. He was self-taught book binder uh, at the time. You and love this guy, don't you? I love Michael Faraday. Michael Faraday is great. Um, incredibly religious, um, quite quite staunchly religious, but basically a, a nice dude. And Davy goes, you know what, Michael, if you want a job, come and work for me. You can be my assistant. We'll take. We'll go around Europe. It'll be fantastic. We'll go around Europe, farting and blowing each other up, and it'll be <laughs> awesome. It'll be, it'll be, it'll be, it'll be the lads on tour. It'll be the proper lols. And Faraday, um, I mean, uh, very famously, Humphrey Davies says, Michael Faraday is my greatest discovery. Um, Faraday goes on to become a pioneer of what's called electrochemistry mm. and, um, and electromagnetism. There are things like Faraday cages people might have heard of. Incredibly important in that sort of regard. But even more important than that, he is incredibly good at communicating science to the general public. He's fabulous at it. A bit like um, you. <laughs> oh, you're so kind. <laughs> no, it's true. Um, I hate science, but I love your stories. Go on. All right. So um, he gives these, he gives this, 
the lectures sound incredibly boring. He gives the chemical history of a candle. And literally, it's, it's him sat there with a candle, and he's explaining what's going on. Uh, because fire is just bonkers. Fire is genuinely crazy. We still have absolutely no idea what goes on inside a flame, by the way. Absolutely. Oh, really? Very, very little idea at all. Um, I was talking to this guy who, um, this is a complete aside, but uh, he's try- he was trying to work out how to put out fire using electricity. Um, and you can actually do it with, with certain voltages and stuff like that. He was mucking around with it. And he told some people at um, a comic book convention about it. And suddenly it ends up with, um, with one of the Marvel superheroes putting out fires with electricity. Um, you can also do it with sound. If you've got really like low sound, like a really unpleasant sort of level of noise, uh, you can actually puff out um, fire with it. Anyway, because you have to so fire, you'd need to deprive it of oxygen or what yeah, are the oxygen, oxygen material. Um, it's basically uh, to do with the uh, with the way that sound waves work, and you can get this dip, uh, and yeah, you can extinguish a flame, um, which is pretty cool. Pretty but cool. but yeah, I mean, fire, like I say, it's, it's mad. Even if you go for like the simplest possible chemical fire you've got, like the simplest thing is probably like methane or something mm. um, burning. Um, you can still produce hundreds of different comp it's crazy anyway so michael faraday uh, gives these lectures they are so popular that outside the royal institution in london which is where he gives them they install the world's first one-way system because carriages are blocking the road trying to get to see michael faraday oh i like that it, it's pretty classy um and so this is like kind of why i like faraday he is he is pretty much chemistry's first rock star um and probably science's first rock star as well um but some phrases there are various things that people will have heard of uh, anode cathode uh, electrode ion they are all from michael faraday a substance called benzene um he discovers that um so all of these kind of really important stuff uh, sort of spawns out of him and uh yeah, he's a Victorian chap. He, he does get involved in, in all kinds of strange things, but he, he unfortunately falls quite ill. Uh, and he is considered in such high regard that they basically give him Hampton Court Palace um, to sort of convalesce in. And he spends the rest of his life there just chilling. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's awesome. That's like you have to be pretty special to get given Hampton Court Palace. I think Bird would have got it. World War One Bird would have died there. Uh, Xenia, the SARS sister, got given 
somewhere to live at Hampton Court Palace. Yeah, it, it's kind of like the the elite level of of science. Yeah. Um, so they, anyway, that that's those are Humphrey Davy and Michael Michael Faraday. Um, do you want to go for some some big ones? Do you want to go for some more obscure ones? What do you fancy? Uh, give me a really obscure one. Okay, uh, I'm going to go for Galen. Are you familiar with Galen? Galen, that's medical, right? It is medical. Gosh, Very good. Me out. Yeah, I know. Did, did he do one of those old textbooks? He is exactly that. He is one of those old textbooks that basically shape history in hideous, hideous fashion. Because he had some very strange ideas. Okay, and then no one did anything for centuries and centuries, did they, until they started? Yeah, pretty much. Um, So until Harvey, uh, who starts doing things on circulation in the 17th century, uh, I think, start of the 17th century, uh, yeah, everyone just takes Galen as gospel. Okay. Um, Tell us why it's crazy. Oh yeah, complete, complete crazy. Um, and some ideas that are attributed to, to Gave, uh, Galen aren't quite from him. Uh, but, uh, but certainly do come from, from that kind of era. Um, hysteria is a great example of that. Um, are you familiar with the wandering womb? No. So there was a medical theory that a woman's womb wasn't attached and that it would start floating around the body. And this is what caused hysteria. <laughs> basically your womb just going for a runner. Okay. Um, so there was, there was that kind of thing came from sort of medical textbooks of these sort of Greeks at the time. Um, very, very odd. Um, one of Galen's genuine beliefs was that, um, that a woman's womb was in a naturally cold state. Uh, this is probably coming from the fact that he did look at, um, you weren't allowed to do dissections at the time. It was illegal. But he did sort of suggest to people that they might want to go down and find dead bodies and have a poke around and see what was in there. And oh, is this where on... this thing comes from for centuries about women and their wombs being cold and therefore like frigid? And yes. Why yes, we're yes, all yes, so yes. sex obsessed and this, the woman's, a woman's womb is cold and therefore it must be warmed up with nice hot sperm. That was it. Yeah. We had this randomly came up on an Amberlynn podcast we did. Um, because Leander Delar was telling us about it. Yeah, this is batshit. Yeah, this is this, and that is that. That's good. I mean, in fairness to him, he's trying to come up with with you know sensible ideas from what he can see, but it's not particularly sensible when you think about it in sort of the wider context. Um, one of the big problems that causes, obviously, is um, horrendous uh, situations for women because. He also taught that a woman couldn't become pregnant unless she enjoyed sex. And so that meant that rape cases often were thrown out because if the woman enjoyed it and had a child, she clearly wasn't raped. And if she didn't have a child, uh, there was no evidence that she had been raped at all. And nobody questions this for hundreds of years. Pretty much. Yeah, it's it's kind of just become sort of part of it. I, I don't think that was ever Galen's intention, uh, yeah. in fairness to him. But nobody yeah. else came along and thought, well, this sounds like a load of shit. Pretty much no. Um, I mean, it's it's one of those things that just sort of lingers around there. And like I say, you have people roughly from uh, sort of Galen's time who... Uh, so Galen was uh, sort of first and... Sorry, second and third century AD, around that time. And, um, and you have these sort of figures that become very, very famous and very, very influential. 
and another two cases that I mentioned, Cleopatra the Alchemist and and Mary the Jewess, become these sort of mystic figures that are seen as people who have seen the the philosopher's stone. They are really old scientists who were probably just trying to make sense of the world as best as they could, mm. um, and not quite getting it right. Um, one of the things Galen is really influential on is the the, the idea of humorism. Oh, so this is the body has four humours and they all have to be in balance. Yes, the black bile, the yellow bile, the blood yeah. and the phlegm. Um, he didn't come up with the idea, but he did popularise it, certainly, with and incredibly um, influential in terms of what he wrote. Um, so I don't know whether or not he counts as a scientist. I, I It's kind of that grey area because these, these Roman slash Greek, I mean, he, he was... Basically, I think he was born in Pergamon, um, and but he was a, around the Roman time. Um, uh, I think he wrote in Greek, and these these doctors were trying to do as best they can, but they basically influenced us for over a thousand years, which is quite astonishing. That's mental. Um, have you got one that's epically famous and revered, where actually you're going to tell me that they were a nut job? <laughs> oh do i ever um <laughs> let's 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 do the biggest one of them all albert einstein okay was he a total fruitcake um so the, the people think they know about albert einstein they think they know uh tell me why did albert einstein win the nobel prize um i have no idea because <laughs> he was so, a white man and he was in america uh, he wasn't in America at the time. I don't think. Okay. I think it was. Yeah, this was in the twenties. Um, he, um, he he won it for what's called the photoelectric effect, um, which everyone has no idea was associated with Albert Einstein. Um, he also did things. He's mostly famous for the theory of relativity. This E equals M C squared uh, idea. And okay. Yeah. Yeah. That rings a bell. He all comes up with it in 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 one year um, in nineteen oh five. Um, where he's working in Switzerland, and because academia is so bloody cutthroat, he's working as a patent clerk. Um, so even that's that's the thing. If, if you ever feel like you're you're being forced out of academia and things like that, um, Albert Einstein works as a patent clerk for I think he was for about sort of eight, eight, seven or eight years. That's um, nuts! I didn't know that. Yeah, um, so in his twenties, uh, and he, he gets his PhD. Um, Albert Einstein's craziness isn't so much his science, but more his, um, again, it, uh, there is a horrible trend here. It's his attitude towards women. Um, are you familiar with the letter he wrote his, his first wife? No. Okay. Um, so he was married to someone called um, um, Maliva. Uh, again, I apologize if I'm pronouncing that incorrectly. And um, he, he sends her this horrible sort of conditions letter you know, you will make sure that my clothes and laundry are kept in good order, that I receive my three meals, that my bedroom and study is very, very neat. Um, but he also then adds these extra conditions because he no longer wants to be with her, really, um, which is that you will renounce all person. I've got the letter up here with me. You will renounce all personal relations with me insofar as they're not completely necessary for social reasons. Specifically, you will forego sitting at home with me or going out or traveling with me. And you will obey the following points in your relations. You will not expect any intimacy from me, nor will you reproach me in any way. You will stop talking to me if I request it, and you will leave my bedroom or study immediately without protest if I request it. Tell me she left him. 
you, 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 I mean, they, they did divorce and immediately Einstein marries. Um, but yeah, he had this final condition as well, which was you do not belittle me in front of our children, uh, either through words or behavior. Um, so truly not a very nice man in terms of how he treats his wife. Um, the one that thing that's interesting about Einstein is everyone thinks he's got something to do with atomic weapons. I kind of busted that one with the Manhattan Project. He yeah, he ardent... basically wouldn't have anything to do with it, would he? No, he was an ardent pacifist. Absolutely yeah. nothing to do with it whatsoever. And he wrote these these letters that did sort of kick them off, but he didn't want anything to do with it. Um, he is kind of associated with genius. Um, he's also associated with kind of like, uh, there's a very famous photo of him with his tongue out. Which that's is... right, yeah. Yeah, that gets stuck everywhere. Um, that was basically he was he was going out to celebrate his birthday, and some reporter just shouted, "You know, do something wacky!" And so he just stuck his tongue out him. So he was basically giving you know a you know a piss off to the to the press. But that's how we remember him. Wow. Yeah, um, I'm gonna. I think we've we've sort of covered quite a few different areas. Uh, I'm gonna wrap up with uh, with a story that that is. It is not very nice, uh, but okay. I do want to cover it, which is the the story of Fritz Harbour. Are you familiar with this one? Yeah, I, you've you've been dropping hints in our WhatsApp group about yeah. how much of a, a weirdo dick Fritz Harbour was. So have at him. Okay, so so Fritz Harbour, um, he is one of those ultimate questions when it comes to you know who should be allowed into into the pearly gates if you if you do believe in sort of that a heaven or hell. Um, on one hand, he saved billions of lives. On the other hand, he invented chemical weapons. That's the only way to put it. Yeah. Um, Fritz Harbour was a scientist, and he married uh, another incredible scientist called Clara Immerwehr. And she, unfortunately, because of the time, was sort of expected to be a, a stay-at-home wife and sort of helped him with his papers. And he comes up with something called the Harbour-Bosch process, um, with a guy named Carl Bosch, unsurprisingly. Um, and the Harbour-Bosch process is a way of taking nitrogen from the air um, and reacting with hydrogen and making ammonia. And this was revelationary because ammonia is incredibly important for, for two reasons. One is fertilizer and the other is weapons, gunpowder. Right. Previously, uh, ammonia had mostly, mostly been gathered from bird shit. Uh, <laughs> Uh, okay. <laughs> so people were there were there were wars fought over bird shit in South America uh, towards the end of the 19th century. Um, the Guano War, uh, the Guano Islands War, and what becomes known as the the War of the Pacific, which is basically Chile, uh, Bolivia, and Peru having this massive fight over a ton of bird shit that exists along the coast of the Atacama Desert. And if you go to the, Ati- I've been to the Atacama and, uh, you can see these walls of crystallized bird turd and it's just like white gold up the cliff. And this fossilized crap was horrible, but also incredibly important for, for whole cultures. Um, America still has a law on its books that if a bird has taken a shit on an island, you can claim it for America and they will come with the Marines and they will defend it. Right. Yeah. Anyway, bird bird poo, incredibly important. So much so that actually Bolivia got into this war and they lost their coastline in the war. Um, to this day, there is this sort of annual parade in Bolivia uh, complaining that they don't have a seaside because they lost it fighting over bird shit. Anyway, not South American is, is not in my area. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, so along comes uh, this Harbour Bosch process and it changes everything. Uh, but Harbour was incredibly patriotic. And so when the First World War breaks out, he is desperately trying to think of a way that he can he can help. And he decides that the most effective way to do that is to use chemistry to kill a lot of people. Um, and he comes up with uh, the idea of using chlorine gas. Now, chlorine is horrible. Um, if anyone's seen a Disney movie, uh, you know that sort of lime green that always flows around villains. Yes. That is exactly what chlorine looks like. Ooh. And so on the 22nd of April, 1915, um, puffing a cigar at the second battle of, you're going to correct me on this one, Yeep. Yep, that's, that'll do. Yes. Oh, I always get that wrong. Excellent. Second battle of Yeep. Uh, Yeep. Ah. Or Yeeper is changed back to its Flemish way. So Yeeper's fine if that's easier. Fantastic. Second battle of Ypres. Uh, he gave the signal, God punish England, uh, despite the fact that it was French and Algerians and Canadians in front of him, and began what was known as Operation Disinfection. Um, and he released 5,730 uh, 5, canisters of poison gas along a mile-long section of front, um, 160 tonnes of chlorine, and went straight across the, the towards these troops. And of course, they had never seen this before. They didn't know that you could run away from it. It doesn't flow very quickly, but very quickly, um, horrific casualties emerged. Um, he killed 5,000 men, maimed a further 10,000 in a morning. Um, and Harbour was absolutely delighted with this. Uh, he thought it was fantastic. Um, and when he wins the Nobel Prize in 1919, he actually goes on, rather than talking about his Harbour Brosh process, which he wins it for, he goes on this massive rant about how chemical weapons are a higher form of killing and everyone should embrace it. Um, but here's the real tragedy of, of, of Harbour. This is why. The act, yeah, the act yeah. doesn't go down well at home. Um, and Clara Imavere, uh tells him that it's her or the gas. And we don't know what was said, but we do know that very shortly afterwards, Clara took his service pistol and killed herself. Mm. The day after, Harbour goes off to the Eastern Front to use chemical weapons on the Russians. Now, he's not the only Nobel Prize winner who actually uses chemical weapons. Um, there was a, a French guy, um, uh, Victor Grignard, who used chemical weapons for France. Um, Harbour, in his own uh, regiment, in his own group, recruited three future Nobel Prize winners. Um, the Americans, they had a very strange approach to, to chemical weapons. They actually recruited baseball players. Um, and so there's a guy called Ty Cobb, very, very famous baseball player. Uh, Branch Rickey, uh, who Harrison Ford once played in the movie. Uh, and this pitcher, Christy Madison, and they're recruited to the gas and flame division. Uh, and Madison actually gets gassed uh, during a training exercise and later dies um, of complications from his uh, from his gassing. So all kinds of very strange people end up working on this on these horrible projects. But this is where you get sort of the, the very strange characters when you've got to kind of got to balance out what they do, because the Hubble Bosch process, without question, has saved billions of lives. Something like 50% of people have, have used food from the Harbour Bosch process that has been grown thanks to fertilizer from it. Um, it ends famines. And yet he is the father of chemical warfare and he unrepentantly loved chemical warfare. Mm. Yeah, so, I don't like him. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think he is a bit of a dick. Um, the total it's, lack of remorse for me is really grim. It, it is. Uh, and but his, his view was that it, rather than have people, you know, dying for, for hours having been shot, killing them instantly with chlorine gas was much more clean and efficient as far as he saw it, um, which is just, just a horrible view to take. But here's the sort of the, the twist, if you like. Um, Harbour, as I mentioned, was was a German Jew, and he went on to develop Zyklon B. So there were people who Harbour knew and were friends with, he, uh, not himself, uh, and, it's, and certainly probably related to, who would die in the Holocaust because mm. of his creation. Um, so there's this incredible... It's a difficult story to tell because Harbour, you know, on on the one hand, he very, very clearly believed what he was doing. Um, but whenever chemists sort of talk about him, there is there is just general consensus. He's kind of the worst chemist ever. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, this is actually really like a bum note. I don't want to finish on a bum note. All right. Finish on something completely ridiculous. Uh, I mean, we've done Jack Parsons. We did Jack Parsons in a pod, in, in one of the pub podcasts, which is really shame because, because he's amazing. Um, Antoine Lavoisier. Let's do Antoine Lavoisier because Lavoisier is ridiculous. Um, so Antoine Lavoisier is the guy that comes up with oxygen. So kind of important. Yeah. Um, and he's, he's a French nobleman, uh, just before the French Revolution. Um, he marries, as is common in those days, a 13 year old girl. Um, and uh, Marianne Lavoisier, and she basically translates English textbooks to him. Uh, there's a guy called Joseph Priestley who's been working on on this thing called uh, phagoston. There was an idea at the time that there was a hidden substance, magical substance, uh, in materials that caused them to burn. And he thought that he had created deflagostated air, which is air released when you've burnt it. Um, and Lavoisier was having none of this. He went, no, this is just stupid. Let's just call it oxygen. Um, do you know what oxygen means? No. Uh, oxygen, is, well, it comes from the fact that Lavoisier mistakenly thought it created acids. It means sharp mother or harsh mother, um, which just sounds like an S&M position as far as I'm concerned. It so does. Yeah. Anyway, so the next time you see oxygen, just remember, the harsh mother. Um so Lavoisier and his wife, they come up with these, uh, these, these ideas and he starts writing, he comes up with the, the first list of elements. I and mean, we didn't really have chemical elements before Lavoisier. And he's like, let's, let's just make a list of everything I can't break down any further. So we've got iron. I know that's a thing. Um, oxygen. I know that's a thing. Um, calories. Calories must be an element as well. Um, which I'm sure Marianne really appreciated. Mm. Um, Air, uh, sorry, um, well, not air. Um, there was there was something else that was utterly ridiculous uh, that, he, that he thought was a uh, blimey. What was it? It's annoying. I can't remember it now. Anyway, yeah. So um, he had a few things that clearly were not elements, but he comes up with this list. The problem is that he's in the middle of the French Revolution, and he's done. <laughs> he he's done the um, he's wronged the wrong group um, because he was told to crack down on tobacconists that were watering down their produce. Um, and so he, he came up with these regulations for tobacco. And because he was an aristocrat, the tobacconists decided they were going to have him. And so he got his head lopped off during the French Revolution.
by angry tobacconists who were fed up with, with being told they can't cheat their customers. <laughs> Which is absolutely <laughs> um when you look at the history of sort of um of smoking i mean it, it gets it gets even weirder the, the various people have died because of the tobacco lobby um i mean anton lavazio is one of the one of the first do you know who the first person was that ended up uh imprisoned because of um of smoking no go on uh so this is one of columbus's crew uh it's the first guy that ever actually smoked uh so a european that smoked um, and so he brought it back to his hometown uh, in, in Spain and he thought it'd scare everybody by sitting there sort of puffing great big gobbles of smoke out from the from these rolled up, um, you know, cigarette leaves that he'd tobacco leaves that he'd brought back from the Bahamas. They'd seen the natives do. And unsurprisingly, the Spanish Inquisition thought that was a bit off. And they ruled that only the devil could allow you to, to breathe smoke out of your mouth. And they threw him in prison. And this guy languishes in jail for six years uh, under the Spanish Inquisition before they finally let him out, by which time everybody's smoking. Um, <laughs> you would have felt so fucking like life was so unjust, wouldn't you? You would. Um, so, yeah, the first ever European smoker was actually the first person to be in, imprisoned. And I don't know if he was fined, but I hope so, uh, for smoking. And the first people who were anti-smoking were the Spanish Inquisition. Uh, Rodrigo de Jerez, that's his name. Um, I was trying to remember it. I feel really bad for him. I yeah. Like there should be a day where everyone smokes a cigar in his honour. <laughs> well, I mean, there were a couple of people who were really sort of against smoking uh, as well. I mean, one of the first people who wrote a book of, a book about smoking uh, was James I of England, uh, 6th of Scotland. And he, he absolutely hated it. He said it poisoned people's sweet breath. Um, and sort of went on this massive rant called the counterblast to tobacco, trying to shut it down. No um, way. Queen Victoria wouldn't let anyone, well, Queen Victoria wouldn't let Bertie, her son, Edward VII, smoke in any of her houses, so he had to go outside. <laughs> really? And she would have all the doors locked so he couldn't get out in between meals and stuff. So it would be more, she'd have like the conservatory doors locked to make it more awkward for him. Oh, because God. he was forever smoking. I mean, Bert, Bertie's always sort of presented as this sort of wrong one, isn't he? Um, I, Eddie Izzard was was quite guilty of that in the uh, in the what is it, Victoria and Abdul stuff. I don't know. I just hmm, I've just been reading about him, and he's of not course I forgot about Victoria and Abdul. Yeah, he, he was fabulous. Yeah, the way he treats women is, is slightly vile. Um, yeah, women that he messes with. But, yeah, he doesn't deserve traction on this programme because he wasn't a scientist. Well, yes. Actually, let's, let's end with, with a scientist who, who did want to get out and couldn't. Um, okay. um, so uh, Tycho Brahe, um, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Again, my pronunciations are probably terrible. I'm sort of jumping around science. Um, he, was, um, he was a Danish nobleman, astronomer. Um, he, he was a lad. I mean, he, he gets his nose sliced off in a duel. Um, and for the rest of his life, he has this brass nose, but he, he becomes Bessie mates with the guy that, that he was in a fight with. Oh, brilliant. I yeah. like, I know where you're going with this one as well, because people have doubted that this is true, but tell them. Right. So, uh, the, the legend of his death uh, 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 is, is fabulous. Um, so he was attending a, uh, a banquet, uh, in Prague and he is incredibly well-mannered. He's having a party. He's having a good time. He doesn't want to go home. Uh, he doesn't want to go up to the loo to have a, uh, have a wee-wee. So he refuses to, ha- to, to, to leave and, and just keeps on 
drinking, reveling, talking to people, and basically holds it in. He's crossing his legs underneath the table. Um, and when he gets home, he discovers that he can't have a piss. It's sort of something's gone wrong and it's, it's broken. And this is, um, it, he's actually resulted in uremia. He's basically got massive kidney problems from not going to the toilet uh, for several hours in this massive banquet. And, uh, and yeah, 11 days later, he dies of, uh, of basically not having a piss. And this is not a piss take, literally a piss take, is it? It's true. It, it is quite literally not a piss take. Um, and I mean, there was, there was some people have looked at this. There was people that suggested that he was poisoned, um, which actually sort of people pointing the finger to this guy called Kepler, who was his assistant. Very, very famous scientist, very influential scientist. Um, but almost certainly, yeah, he was, um, he, he basically could not have, uh, have had it that way. He was, he was almost certainly, as people said at the time, he lived like a sage and he died like a fool. <laughs> but it's a little, I don't less, think they're wrong. When you need to go, go. And on that note, Kit, we will go. Thank you so much for coming on and just chatting science shit with us. I love it because we don't do nearly enough science coverage, um, the history of science. So you will be back, undoubtedly. We're going to do a pub thing later this week as well. Um, And you are always welcome. So thank you. No worries, Alex. Join us on Monday when Gareth Davis really will be here this time to talk about the Battle of Kursk. We're really looking forward to that. So don't miss that one. Don't forget that we do exist on Patreon as History Hack and on Patreon as well, which is Podbean's own version. Uh, Alina and I have had massive fun doing this in 2020, uh, but life's going to change quite a lot next year and we're going to actually have to go and earn a living, etc. If we want to keep up the regularity that we've been bringing you and the kind of guests that we've been bringing you and the workload, then we will need your help. So uh, if you join us on either of those platforms uh, marcus is currently working on some benefits for you so uh, there's going to be incentives for joining on either of those platforms we're revamping ourselves on both of them so don't forget to go in you can do as little as a dollar a month and it all goes towards keeping up history hack as regular as we've been able to bring it to you this year we are now on YouTube. We are posting all of our new episodes on there and we have our own channel and we are gradually posting all of the back episodes because we have been made aware of the fact that you can only find the last hundred on some platforms. So you can go and listen to your heart's content and laugh at the cartoons and have a great time. So do go over there and subscribe. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.